I am um, excited to be back here again this week just um, to prepare the word for you again. I'm so excited. Um, after we went about a month hitting several different topics to be back in the book of Acts again. And uh, I've mentioned this before. I don't know if you realize, but we've been in Acts for just a little over a year. So we um, have just now made it to um, Acts uh, 15, believe it or not. So we are just grateful um, to have worked our way this far, but there's yet a lot more that we have to work through. And so today's sermon is entitled Qualified Leaders. It is entitled Qualified Leaders. One of the things that we see, that we get, that we realize um, throughout the time in Acts that we see more than any other book of the Bible, perhaps, is that there is this constant working through the people that God has called and designed to lead. There's this constant working of them who are supposed to be the heralds of the gospel, who are remaining consistent in the faith. And even as we see this, we see that God has outlined for us, he has given us very specific parameters about what a qualified Christian leader looks like. Now, when you hear this, you're going to immediately think I'm merely referring to the qualified men that God calls the pastor. And while that is the primary focus of this text, this also is going to have an effect on how you lead in the various areas that God has called you in life. Whether you are at work, whether you are in your home, no matter where you may be, whether you are in a position of leadership or not, if you are a Christian, you have been called to lead where you are. You have been called to leave an indelible mark of the gospel of Christianity wherever you're going to go. And so today we're going to look at what the parameters of a qualified person looks like specifically. We're going to look at what a qualified man of God looks like, but we're also going to look at what qualified leaders look like and what that means for us in our world. Now, in a world that we have seen that has changed the expectations of what church is and how it's done, I do believe that Acts is a good reminder, a beautiful reminder that the legwork of the faith is done by God's faithful stewards of God's word, whose chief concern is to do nothing else but promulgate and preach the gospel. Now, obviously, that narrative has changed a little bit in our time, but recently I saw a study by the Barner Group and it said this, believe it or not, it took um, different polls from different groups of people all within the church and it asked them several different things about what they most likely are to look for in a church. And for the older group, the top reason was pastoral leadership. For the younger group, the third reason was pastoral leadership. And for the even younger group, the third reason was pastoral leadership. What they found out is that what is common among people is that the most thing that they are looking for percentage wise when they go to a church is not just good, cool, hip music. It is not just what the check the church aesthetically looks like, but what they are most commonly looking for is a man of God who has been called and will lead well. That is what they're most likely looking for. Now, much of this has been distorted in our world because many people think that that is the last thing that people want. But based on what the Barna research has found is that people are looking for qualified people to lead them. 
And so what I hope that we see today is that good leadership within the church is not only God honoring, but is also a necessity to build healthy churches. There are plenty of people who are bigging large churches, but there are not a lot of people who are building healthy churches. Yes, these this emphasis for many people is simply to just build the church, but we should be focused on building healthy churches with qualified leaders. I recently have had conversation after conversation. It's like God has providentially put these people in my place. I've had more and more conversations over pastors who planted their churches. And just last week, I had a conversation with a guy who planted a church about eight years ago in Trustful. And he told me, he said, Brandon, I'm going to give you an encouragement. He said, for five years our church was nothing more than 35 people. He said for five straight years, this is a PCA church. And he says, all we did was keep showing up and preaching the gospel. He says, they just built a building. This is their eighth year. They just finally were able to build a building. There were 400 people at that service. Now, he says, people ask him all the time, how did you get through? He's like, we just kept showing up and giving the people the gospel. He said, that's my encouragement to you. Keep showing up. Keep giving people the gospel. And so that's what I want to do. So we're going to look today at Acts chapter 15 and verse 19. Acts chapter 15 and verse 19. It reads... Therefore, my judgment, this is James talking. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual morality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of Gentiles of, in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greeting. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. These four things that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together 
And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So once Paul and Barnabas convene here with James and the other leaders, they convene. If you remember in the prior sermon on Acts, which was quite a while ago, they convene over the issue of circumcision. What had been said to them was that in order to actually be a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to both become culturally and ethnically Jewish. Which means there is something that you need to add in order to actually be saved. Now, these apostles, when they were hearing this, instead of just merely relying on what they believed to be true, they then went to Jerusalem and convened with the other leaders in the church. They are resisting the idea that there's anything else that we contribute on our part to our salvation. Now, what I love about this letter and what James sends back with Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Barsabas is that he actually never quite mentions circumcision in the letter. And I think the reason for that is actually intentional. He says here that we shouldn't disturb the Gentiles who come to God. Now, that is actually a word in the Greek that is pretty interesting because it means disturbed to the sense that there was mental and emotional unrest on their part concerning this issue. And it would make sense. You have been told just believe in the saving, redemptive death of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then there are these people who come say, well, actually, no, that's not enough. There is this other part that you must do. And let's just be clear. They were telling grown men that they needed to be circumcised. That's enough trouble in itself. There's a reason they circumcise babies and not men. All right. And so to hear this would have been alarming, one, because it meant that they were going to have to endure this physically. But it also meant that the gospel as they knew it wasn't true. It wasn't a gospel that was based on the works of Jesus Christ. It was actually a gospel that was based on my individual works. And so when they hear this, Paul and Barnabas say, we need to go back to the other leaders and make sure that we get this right. We shouldn't lead to an increase of their anxiety by attempting to entangle them once again with the yoke of legalism. And so he says, we aren't going to add anything to them unnecessarily, but rather we will make it clear. Their discipline, James says, should be that they do not indulge in things of the world. That you do not infringe upon the rights of your neighbor. This foresight on the part of James, but is also a quality of a good leader. It's the first quality of a good leader. He simplifies the faith. He simplifies the faith. What should be complex and complicated, James brings down in really four basic principles. He makes the faith easy to understand. 
in instructing the new believers how to live, he actually resists trying to give the new converts an elaborate list of things that they should be doing and they, should, they shouldn't be doing. And he actually makes his point quite cogently. I love this with H.B. Charles. Every time he talks in his preaching, his podcast on preaching, he says that the man of God has been called to be faithful and clear. That's it. Be faithful to the text and be clear in communicating the text. And so how does James simplify the faith here? He says it just like this. He gives us four things. He says that they should avoid pollution that comes from idolatry. They should avoid sexual immorality from pagan rituals and rites as well as temple prostitution. That's what was going on. He said you should avoid strangled things. That's another thing that the pagans were doing. And you should avoid the issues of blood. The blood matters. Now, all of these may seem a bit obscure, but those who heard it would have known exactly what he was saying. And he boiled it down probably to this. You are to live separate from the world and you should avoid offense. This is a quality that we don't often see in those unqualified leaders. And listen, some of us at different times have probably subjected ourselves to some of those unqualified leaders. Some of you have seen that leadership in churches where there is not a simplifying of the faith, but there is actually an overcomplication of the faith. There are rules about everything and they tend to be really oppressive, right? There are rules about what you put on your face, how much makeup, what color lipstick, what color nail polish you can have. There are rules about going to the movies. There are rules about wearing pants. There are oppressive rules about drinking alcohol. There are oppressive rules about this, about that. And they do it in order to police the behavior of the people. They lord over the people with oppressive and unfounded rules that cannot be found rooted in biblical truth. They misrepresent the faith, but we don't see that happening with James here, do we? Nope. Here we see James address where that overcomplication happens. And he says, no, none of that's rooted in truth. I'm going to root it in truth. Look at what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians 4 and 6. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. I have instructed you, but not just instructed you, but led you by my example that if it's not found in these 66 books, then I'm not going beyond what is written. He says when that happens, it only leads to the person who is going beyond to end up arrogant, prideful, puffed up. This is the biblical example of a faithful leader. They do not go beyond what is written in this text. If the Bible says it, I say it. If the Bible doesn't say it, I ain't add none to it. I can only go with what has been written. Why? 
Because one, if it ain't biblical, the only thing it's going to do is make me more arrogant and prideful. James offers advice that you may think, well, those four things that he mentioned, we don't really see those in Scripture. So I think he's going beyond what is written. But he actually isn't. In fact, the four principles that James gives us are all rooted in two commandments. Look at this. They're rooted in these two very important ones. It says, don't have any other gods before me. That's the first one. And love God and love your neighbor as yourself. I find this particularly interesting in a time in which we live when everybody has an opinion about what everybody else is doing in regards to how they think the world should be living. When in reality, he is telling us when he says, don't do anything with the blood matters, don't do anything with the strangled things. He's not saying that just because it's wrong on the part of the Gentiles, but there were Jewish believers who rejected that. And that goes back to what Paul said. If you have a brother who does not eat meat, we know that there's nothing wrong with it. But if you have a brother that doesn't do it and they are a believer, don't you be a stumbling block or lead to offense by them. When you're around them, don't you eat meat either. That's what he's saying. What commandment is that rooted in? Love your neighbor as yourself. It may be a particular area of freedom for yourself, but it may not be an area in which they are free. Do not bring your oppressive beliefs on somebody else. That's it. I've heard leaders during the pandemic get up and boldly proclaim things about masks and say it's stupid or foolish or whatever the case may be. You, sir, are not leading your people in the example of the Bible. If you have people who find it a safety and a security, don't you be a stumbling block. That is what a good leader is. You don't reach for these things and pretend like, oh, no, I'm going to add scriptural. No, you do what the Bible says do. That's what James does here. Communicating biblical truth is not just proclaiming it boldly from the pulpit. But it is also using that biblical knowledge in practical ways in order to faithfully direct the people. That's important. The basis of his leadership here is that it is rooted in knowledge of the Bible. That's why when looking at what qualifies one as a leader in the pastoral role, the Bible says that they should not be a novice. They should not be a recent convert. So when we see that James makes these four declarations, the leaders then thought that it would be good then for them to send the leaders back with Paul and Barnabas as they go back to the church in Antioch. It says that it seemed good for them to send brothers back with them. And that brings us to our second point. Good leadership happens in groups. Good leadership happens in groups. One of the most unfortunate happenings, not just in churches, but in many churches today, is that there is one man who rules unilaterally with total and absolute autonomy and authority. Very often, this leader makes decisions not 
only without consulting others, but also they neglect consulting God about decisions that are made. Here we have some strong leaders in the church. These are apostles, okay? These are people who have been with Jesus. These are people who had seen the risen Lord, yet even they do not see it as proper just to go based on what they assumed was true. These are people who have more biblical knowledge in their pinky than I ever will in my lifetime. Yet they didn't think it was enough just to go on what they knew. They went to Jerusalem and they convened with other leaders to make sure that in their instructing the people, they were instructing them in the right way. No, it is not shame if you consult with other leaders in the church. It is humility. Not only is it humility, but we have been called to do so. No, for these men, there is a clear process here. And it starts like this. There's a major theological issue that arises on salvation in Antioch on on the place of Gentile salvation. Paul and Barnabas, ensuring that they were not misleading, go to Jerusalem They convene with James and others to make sure that they got this doctrine correct. That then leads to the Jerusalem Council, which we have just seen here, and they settle on their decision. Once they do that, they then send Barsabas and Silas back with Paul and Barnabas to make sure that the church is taken care of. At every step, these faithful men of God got together and sought the Lord over major doctrinal issues. You may not know this, but if anybody has studied church history, you know that major theological issues in the church have mostly gotten settled at councils like this. That's why I find it interesting for the people who will say, you know, well, my bishop told me that ain't no trinity because the word trinity ain't in the Bible. Like, do you know 300 people came together to settle on the fact that there's a trinity? And you're going to believe your bishop and his five other friends who say it ain't one. Major doctrinal issues have been solidified at major councils. Men who wanted to get the truth right and they sought God together. That's how the church is called to be led. Now, you may be thinking, well, Brandon, this sermon isn't for me because I'm not a leader, nor am I a pastor. Let me stop you there. This method of resolution that they have here, this groupthink, is common among the Bible regarding resolution. We're constantly told in the Bible, if you have an issue with someone that you can't resolve, that you bring somebody else with you to make sure resolution happens. That's the standard that often misquoted scripture where two or three are gathered. He's in the midst. That is about a person who needs to settle an issue with somebody. So they brought another man with them to settle it. Where two or three are gathered. Says if you have an ought with your brother, you don't even bring your sacrifices. You go and you make sure it is resolved with them. Look at what Proverbs 11 and 14 says. This is one of those scriptures that we have certainly um, quoted before, but I don't think we truly grasp what it is saying here. It says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. 
but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Why does good leadership happen in groups? Because apart from the spiritual counsel and guidance of other Christians, we are not equipped enough to merely judge and scrutinize our own decisions. I am too biased about every single one of my ideas to be the only person that I run that idea through. Very often we see there are many people who lead this way in their arrogance and in their confidence in themselves. They think that everything that they do is right and they don't run any decision through anybody else. That is not how we have been called to live as Christians. We must hold fast to the truth. Again, yes, this is a truth that we see in the text. There is the, count, the constant operation of partnership in the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to see next week that you can have blood-bought believers who have the Holy Spirit who get together on stuff and still don't get it right. Still don't get it right. How much worse do you think that is if you don't get together with anybody at all? Now, if you think that this is just how the church should be run, then you may not realize that all of who we are, whether we're in church or outside of it, has been called to happen in community. Not just any community, though. Community with other believers. Whether you are leading your home, whether you're leading a church, whether you are at your job, your leadership will most glorify God when it comes within a Christian community. That's it. Final point. Choosing qualified leaders. Choosing qualified leaders. In order to properly address those in Antioch and in order to show that they actually convene, I love what James does. James sends a letter in order to communicate where they settle in terms of this theological issue. But when he does that, he also qualifies their decision and that he was sending those whom he sent with Paul and Barnabas in Antioch. So he begins by saying that we have heard of the burden that has been placed on the Gentiles and we are going to get to that. He said, but we have come together. Not just that we have come together, though. We have come together on one accord. We have come together with the sameness of thinking, same mind. Now, in my last point, I just mentioned that good leadership happens in groups, but it doesn't just happen because there is a group. We have all seen people who claim to be Christians come to solve some contentious issue only to create more contention. If you don't have a group of God led Bible believing Christians, you ain't solving no issues. The thing that unifies us must be not that we're just in a group, but it's the same spirit testifying with itself that if that person is a believer, then Holy Spirit in me, he will identify himself in them. That's it. And I'm going to tell you like this. A house divided against itself will not stand. If there is division among us, 
so much that we cannot solve issues. Somebody ain't got the Holy Spirit. That's it. It says that they don't just come together to be in a group, but they come together with one mind. That's not what happens in a lot of places, but that is what happens here. This is believers coming filled with the spirit and allowing the spirit to work with them in them collectively. Look at James saying his reasoning for picking the men that he picked. I love it. This is the qualification when you should run every preacher through. He says that they alone with Paul and Barnabas were men who risked their lives for the gospel. They had risked their lives for the gospel. Qualified leaders within the church are those who have given up their rights and the reins to their life for the sake of proclaiming the gospel truth. So often in the Americanized church, we assess the most qualified leaders by how much they invest in themselves. We assess them by how much they make, what kind of car they drive, the measure of their earthly possessions. But if that is the case, then these men that we're reading about aren't even qualified. They don't even have the credentials. Good and qualified leaders are more about the kingdom of God than they are their own kingdom. That's it. Good and qualified leaders are more about storing riches in heaven than they are here on earth. They are more about unity than they are about controversy. They are more about growing believers than they are about growing their own personal ministries. And I think what is important is something that I mentioned earlier. Early in the text, it says, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden. A good and godly leader does not increase the load, but through faithful scripture, faithfully proclaiming the text. A good leader will help you bear the load. Yes, if there is some hidden sin in your life, I'm not trying to help you bear that load. I'm trying to help you give that to Jesus. But if there is anything within you that is seeking biblical truth, wrestling with doctrine, wrestling with what is true about the Bible, then I want to bear that load by faithfully proclaiming the text. Listen. Bearing that load is not idly offering you comforting words that will just get you out of my face. It is about walking alongside that person, feeding them with scripture, telling them about who God is, telling them about the sovereignty of God, opening up the Bible and directing them there, not to me. That's what a good leader does. Finally, once they get back down to Antioch, It says that they rejoiced. How often do we see churches get a letter from leaders and are encouraged? Most time you get a letter from a leader, you're like, oh, Lord. 
we done messed up again. Especially if you got one of them Paul letters. But every time, even when Paul sent a letter, even when he acknowledged their sin and their wrong, he pointed them back to Jesus. And he says that they were strengthened and they were encouraged. When James sends his letter back with these four men, Luke writes that once they got it, they rejoiced. That is what happens when a good Christian leader directs people back to the word of God. If your life is found faithful and true to the word, then when you hear the word, it will only make you rejoice. It will only encourage you. That is the beautiful harmony in the church. And then it closes with this, and this is where I'll close. And they went back down to Antioch, and they continued preaching the gospel. They had an issue. They took the issue to other leaders. They got instruction. They solved the, the issue. The people were encouraged. They rejoiced, and they kept preaching the gospel. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, you have given us the parameters to good quality leadership. Lord, we are so grateful that everything that will go wrong, everything that could come up, you have already outlined for us in the Bible. God, the key for us is that we just have to read it. We just have to open it up and read it. God, we pray that not only will you surround us with good, qualified leaders, God, but through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit that you will make us into good, qualified leaders. Lord, we ask that you would direct us back to you, back to the truth, that you will allow the word of God to strengthen us, to encourage us. God, that you would encourage me to not go beyond what is written, but know that this Bible is perfect, it is without error, and that everything that I know that is written here is true, and it is faithful to you. Lord, it is my prayer that you will lead us, that you will guide us, that you will direct us, and that our lives will be found faithful in you. God, we are so much better in community than we are apart. You have told us that the singular individual person has their own wicked plans. But for those of us who are Christians, we've been called into a new community. God, let us love and be loved by that community. Instruct us in all truth. God, if there's anybody here who has heard this word and doesn't know the truth of who Jesus is, let them know if they're watching that you sent your son to bear the weight of the penalty that was due to us because of our sins, that without him we would be condemned for all of eternity in hell, but that if we just repent and believe the gospel, that Jesus Christ has paid that penalty on the cross for us, and that we will reside with you for all of eternity. Lord, let them know that that is our only hope in this life, and the next life. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.